Disrupt Podcast and the final episode of this four-part series brought to you in partnership with the Jack Ma Foundation's Africa's Business Heroes Programme. Applications are still open for the fifth edition of ABH, which aims to inspire founders who are positively impacting communities. Selected entrepreneurs have the chance to win a share of 1.5 million US dollars in grant funding and gain access to mentorship, training and a community of like-minded entrepreneurs. As part of this series, we've been speaking to founders to find out what impact ABH had on their businesses and how taking part helped them scale more rapidly. In the last episode, we heard from Tesh and Babu of Kenya's Market Force. And this week, in the final episode, we're talking about innovation within social enterprises on the continent. First, we caught up with Ikenna Nwezi, CEO and co-founder of Nigerian agri-tech startup Relief. What does relief do? In the shortest sense, or in a nutshell, if I'm um, speaking to the pun, relief supplies ingredients to food factories in Africa. We get ingredients to food factories at cheaper costs, higher quality, um, and more availability, so higher quantities. To basically pull this off for our customers, relief has developed three different technologies. Those technologies help us first Uh, find farms and farmers. Um, It's a geospatial application called Site. Second, um, we buy nuts from farmers um, and conduct a lot of microtransactions with them. To enable that, we have a piece of software called Site. And finally, to process these farmers' nuts um, into vegetable oil, we use proprietary technology we developed, which is called Kraken. Relief launched in 2021, getting off to a strong start and grew revenue fivefold in 2022. Ikenna said ABH had a major impact on its success. We did it in 2021 during our first year of operations and it really brought a lot of um, publicity and interest uh, to what we were doing. I think participating in ABH really helped us hire a lot of really great talent um, as it provided us with more visibility um, to people who were looking for tech-enabled, impactful businesses that they could join and take part in. Um, since conducting in, or since participating in ABH, um, we developed site, um, and like I mentioned, we've, we've grown the business multiple times in the past year. Social impact is at the core of the ABH initiative, and Akenna said that shone through when Relief was taking part in the programme. He echoes other founders in saying how valuable being part of a community of like-minded social entrepreneurs has been. From the social side, I would say that ABH was really helpful in connecting us with other entrepreneurs who are building impactful businesses. It's been really important to have their mentorship, their thoughts on where we are, their feedback on ways that we can improve. And I think that's been probably the most valuable component of the program to me. The social aspect is definitely very central to ABH. The competition is looking to both inspire entrepreneurs and make an impact on the continent. And so I think um, consideration for ventures that create, you know, positive social externalities is really important. A focus on social businesses in Africa is important, he says, given the pivotal role such companies play developmentally on the continent. I would say that social businesses are very important in Africa um, and they address every social issue uh, that the continent has. 
there's certainly an argument that all businesses in Africa are social enterprises. I think it really depends from the perspective that one is looking at social as opposed to non-social ventures. Um, all businesses should create some form of profit or economic surplus or value to users. And so in one framing, all businesses can have positive social externalities. I think when we use the term um, social enterprise, we're oftentimes speaking in a relative sense. Um, and social businesses are generally categorized as those that have beneficiaries that are not the most fortunate um, in the global economy. Um, and so if that perspective is used, many businesses uh, in Africa, maybe besides those that charter jets for folks around the continent, could be considered social businesses. Social businesses do face particular challenges, however. As a social enterprise, I think one challenge that is definitely faced is um, there can be a view from some investors, and I think that this is improving, that uh, ventures either need to choose um, impact or profit. And I don't believe that that's the case, but I think there is a perspective there that needs to be um, addressed. Um, for us at Relief, you know, specifically operating in the agricultural sector, we've certainly seen um, that you know, when people see agricultural businesses, they think of poverty, they therefore think of you know, grant funding and non-dilutive capital. Um, and that's just not the case of what our business is doing or really what our objectives are. We believe that um, just like every other developed economy around the world, uh, for-profit businesses have bolstered food systems and made them more efficient, and we have a role um, to do the same. And we do also have the opportunity to learn from best practices from uh, other organizations and nonprofits, um, and even to participate at times in non-dilutive funding opportunities that are commercially aligned with our business. Um, but at our heart, Relief is a for-profit business that is aimed on scaling its solution throughout Africa, because we believe that uh, for-profit businesses um, have the most ha have the best ability to, to really is achieve scale um, and and to achieve mass distribution of the products and solutions that they deliver and that's why we've chosen a for-profit model for our business. But can impact and profit truly go together? As it relates to impact and you know its complement with profit, I definitely think the the two are important. Um, there are times in which you know there is a trade-off that is made um, between impact and, and profit. Um, for example, I could provide uh, an incentive scheme at my company that pays people more whenever we hit our targets, but that would reduce from the free cash flows that I have at the end of the month. Um, now, you could take the view that if my if I have high you know satisfaction in my workplace, um, then I'll be able to produce more goods and services and I'll be able to make more money. Um, so really sometimes I think when we look at impact and profit, it really depends on how we're defining that profit. Um, if we're defining profit on a percentage basis, um, then perhaps profit decreases in the example that I just gave. But if we're defining profit in an absolute sense, how many dollars do I have at the end of the month? then a workplace with you know workers that feel incentivized and are working hard will produce more absolute profit, albeit at perhaps a lower profit margin. Um, and so I think as entrepreneurs, we need to be you know thoughtful about our view of profit and, and not be very reductionist with it because long-term investments are oftentimes the things that generate real amounts of absolute profit. What is certain is that profit and impact can be maximised by employing technology and innovation within businesses.
that sits at the heart of our company. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a computer science graduate from Yale. My co-founder uh, studied mechanical engineering at Duke. Uh, we are a Y Combinator-backed company, and most, if not all, of our investors are technology investors. Um, and so we leverage technology in everything that we do, from finding farmers with our geospatial application to transacting with them via SALT, which is our application that works offline, um, to our patented nutcracker, which is called Kraken. Um, innovation and technology sit at the heart of economic development um, and the development of communities into thriving ones. Um, and so you will always see that as a part of Relief's DNA. Interesting stuff there from Ikenna especially around the marrying of profit with impact and on how any business in Africa has a legitimate claim to being a social one. That latter point rings especially true when it comes to this next founder who runs Senegalese startup Diara Blue. Diara Busso founded Diara Blue, a high contemporary lifestyle brand, in 2013. A fashion tech company is not one you would normally associate with social impact, probably, but Diara Blue's mission is to iterate for sustainability while highlighting the continent's rich colours and unique patterns. We are focused on using math algorithms and basically merging artisans and algorithms or tradition and technology. So to be more specific, I, I use math models, algorithms or AI to design artwork, which are the prints I use for my fashion collections. And then those clothes are made by local artisan communities in Senegal. And what makes our world uh, so interesting is that fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world. Actually, 85% of garments end up in landfills annually, which is a garbage truck every second. And we are trying to solve that. So what we do instead is that instead of designing and producing and carrying all this inventory and creating more waste, um, I've created a process where the design uh, system is done all digitally using math equations, using AI, we generate our patterns, and then we render them and show them to our social media audience and have them vote. So we crowdsource the design process and we get to know what prints resonate with our patterns, what, what, uh, what prints resonate with our audience, what they like, what they don't like. And then we only produce what's actually popular. So generally, once I run my polls, we produce things that op uh, obtain a score of 70% or higher uh, of yes, of people voting yes. So the question is always, will you wear this? And if the vote is yes, 70% or higher, uh, then we go ahead and produce. And with the audience that I have access to and, and the reach that we have, that's pretty significant. Um, and then we, we produce to order. So we go on drblue.com, just like you would go on Amazon or any website, you would order a dress. That dress doesn't get produced before you order it. It's made to order. So this traditional African uh, craftsmanship way of doing things. But we serve a global audience. Actually, 95% of our customers are in the US. And once that customer makes the order, it's probably produced the next day or the following day and shipped directly to the customer. So if you have an event, a wedding or a party you're going to, you order something on our website, you'd probably get it within a week or a week and a half, just like a regular website. But the difference is that we don't have the inventory. We operate like a restaurant where we have all the ingredients, meaning we have the fabrics, the prints, and all of those have been crowdsourced, where we have the certitude that people will like it. And then we cut it into the order, actually, once it's placed. And this allows us to reduce waste by 60%, which is quite significant. And allows us to be profitable because we don't invest so much cash flow in inventory. 
What are Diara Blue's main achievements so far? My biggest pride, honestly, is what we've achieved in terms of the communities that we've trained in Senegal in producing our garments uh, at the international standard. So we have our clothes being retailed around the world. In the U.S., we are selling with the biggest retailers like Nordstrom. Uh, we are in the same like um, platforms as you know Dior and, and Louis Vuitton and those luxury brands. And to me, that's such a big. Um, accomplishment uh, for a brand that is made in Africa, owned by an African, and it makes me really proud. I would say something that I'm also really happy about uh, what we've achieved is the community we've built in terms of our audience. Uh, we call them DR Blue Muses. And they buy our clothes and wear them all around the world. Our brand and our collection is very focused on women's wear travel, uh, resort wear to be specific. So every single day we go on social media, and we can see our customers wearing our clothes, you know, in Marrakesh and Maldives and Mykonos and around the world. And it makes me very, very happy to see that we have this reach and that we've created a product not only that's mission driven, but that people actually like. Diara was in the top 10 for the 2020 edition of Africa's Business Heroes. And she says the competition was transformative for her company. I remember applying. It was in 2020 during covid and I was terrified. I had major imposter syndrome and I was like, there's no way this is going to work out. I'm not there yet. But I still I still applied. I was like, oh, let me give it a try. Um, I had just graduated from Stanford recently. And I remember in Stanford, I had taken a class called Startup Garage, which was supposed to help, you know, with um, pitching your company, working on a business plan, talking to investors. So that was my very first attempt at a doing that um, kind of process. And I learned a lot from that class. But with ABH, it was like that class on steroids because you're having access to like the whole continent. You're competing with the whole continent, basically. And the caliber of judges, I mean, we had a call where Jack Ma was there and I was so uh, impressed and, and intimidated. So it was pretty, pretty special experience. It was the interview stage where she felt she learned the most as she had to sell herself, her company and her mission to the selection committee. That was a great, great experience for me because not only did I learn a lot from the questions the judges would ask me about the trajectory of my company, but also meeting the other competitors, I was very much like, wow, we really have so much talent on this continent. I mean, whether it's healthcare, um, fintech, um, all these other fields, agriculture, I felt just very humble to be able to be part of that bunch. She was pleasantly surprised to keep advancing through the competition and said it really boosted her confidence. On the final pitch day, that was like one of the most incredible experiences. It was during COVID, so we were pitching remotely and had a camera crew come to my house and we were all like in different time zones, but all had a camera crew and pitching to the judges and they were grilling us. I mean, the questions they were asking us was so difficult. Uh, one of the judges I remember was asking me to completely re revamp my business plan and he was just like, you know what, you don't need 300,000 because that was the amount, the highest amount you could win. He's like, you don't need 300,000. What if I give you $20 million, but then ask you to change your business plan and do ABCDFG? And I was like, hmm, I wouldn't take it. <laughs> I was so convinced about my business plan that I was like, nope, I'll be fine. And I think if somebody had asked me that question six months ago, I'll be like, oh my God, somebody's offering me this much. But I think throughout the process, I gained so much confidence and so much like just certitude and like clarity into what direction I wanted my business to be at that by the time we got to the final, I was just feeling very, very happy with what we were building. And we ended up, you know, winning. Um, I came, I think, fourth place or something and got a $100,000 grant, which was 
really great. And uh, but aside from the money, it was honestly the experience. I grew so much and I made lots of new friends. I learned a lot from the judges and that was that was a big impact for me. Since ABH, Diara started focusing on her company full time, while the cash grant allowed Diara Blue to expand its manufacturing facility in Senegal. It has now sold garments to over 10,000 customers in 40 countries and is building out its tech platform. ABH just kind of opened my mind as to how far I could take this and the financial um, support that we got from it allowed me to really um, ramp up our operations, which used to be a bottleneck before because I couldn't scale operations quickly like that. But with the grant, I just went and hired people and started training artisans about machinery, got a new space, and that was very helpful. ABH also helps from the social aspect, helping Diara Blue to train more artisans and allowing it to showcase positives about Africa to a wider audience. In the past, Africa has always been kind of painted in this deficit mindset and like, you know, look, people looking at us in terms of pity and help and charity and all these things. Because there are a lot of issues and I'm not downplaying them, but it's also been very nice to share a positive side of it, to share that we're able to produce beautiful products, uh, beautiful quality, things that people are willing to wear and showcase and celebrate and, you know, telling stories about where their dress is from and who made them and the car in Senegal. And that to me is a very strong impact. Um, it's not necessarily as um, quantitative, it's more of a qualitative impact, but one that I value quite a bit. ABH's focus on the social has good reasoning behind it, she says. I think social businesses are relevant uh, and important, regardless of what continent or community you're looking at. At the end of the day, we are social creators. And as entrepreneurs, besides making money, I think the primary goal is to make an impact. And when you're making an impact to people in their lives and, and social communities, that's really when you make a difference. And I think one of my favorite quotes was like, if you want to be a billionaire, help a billion people. And, and to me, that's what a social business is, where um, it's a business, it, it's successful, but it also helps people. And that's crucial. That's crucial in Africa. That's crucial to, to how we will develop and how we evolve. And by default, um, African culture is a lot more um, social. If you look at you know African culture compared to the Western world, we are a lot more community driven. We are a lot less individualistic. So social elements or social businesses are key. And I think they have an opportunity to thrive even more in our environments compared to elsewhere. She says the argument that every business in Africa is a social business is a little misleading, but says African companies are more likely to lean towards impact as there are so many challenges to be resolved. If a business provides affordable healthcare, in a low-income community and generating profit, but also fulfilling a social need, they can be described as a social enterprise or if a business hires and trains young people, which we have the youngest population in the world, in Africa, um, this is another way of, of being positioned as a social enterprise or, or enterprise contributing to social development. And I would say in, in some African countries, uh, the private sector plays an, an increasing role in addressing social challenge. When in the past, it used to be the responsibility of governments, but I think we've become so entrepreneurial that we're like, you know what, we're going to solve this ourselves. And you know, in the absence of reliable infrastructure or reliable public transportation systems, uh, some businesses have stepped in to provide these supports. They are still businesses, but they are helping communities. I think by default, for a business to be successful, it needs to help people. It needs to support and help communities. So that makes businesses social. 
uh, enterprises. But I think to be sustainable, a business has to be a business, meaning it needs to be profitable. It needs to have opportunities for growth. It needs to be scalable. And I think oftentimes that can be forgotten especially when in the West perspective of African businesses, there's always this assumption of like, oh, they're just saving the world and helping people, but they don't need to make money. No, you need to make money. <laughs> this is how you're going to grow your business and that's how you're going to help actually uh, more people. So that's, that's my opinion. For social businesses, as with any business, scaling is the biggest challenge. I can't compete or produce at the same rate as another fashion brand that can produce 10, 100,000 times faster because they make everything in China. Whereas in my case, I would say 90% of what I sell is made in Senegal by our artisans. And when I scale it, it's probably going to scale at a much smaller, slower pace. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with building slowly as long as I'm building sustainably. As social businesses focus on sustainability and reducing waste also throws up associated issues. I have to say no to a lot of opportunities. I have to turn down a lot of retailers and buyers when they want to work with us in a scheme that may produce more waste than we would like. So sometimes it's like I'll turn down business opportunities and revenue if it goes against my mission of reducing waste. And, you know, this is very common in fashion where buyers will order collections six months ahead of time. They'll overorder because they don't know yet what demand will look like which creates this massive jump in revenues, but it's not sustainable. So you may need to hire a bunch of artisans really quickly to produce this, but then you may have to fire them right afterwards. And I don't want to do that. So generally I turn down those opportunities or when it's just creating a lot of waste in terms of ordering lots of inventory that they end up discounting, which means, you know, lowering your brand equity over time because your brand goes on sale and, and, and stuff. And that's something that I'm also against. Um, because I just don't want to be creating so much, so much waste. So those are two aspects of being um, a social enterprise or having a social mission that can be challenging. But I welcome those challenges. I'm very, very set in terms of what our mission is and what our goals are. And I've gotten a lot more comfortable saying no. Um, does it change how we are viewed? Yes, it does. And I think it's actually a positive. I think we are viewed as disruptors in this industry, in an industry that's known for inventory and waste and um, a different way of doing things. I think we are seen as, as disruptors because we, we prioritize um, mission over, over just profitability and revenues, which then creates a lot more um, exclusivity. And it does create more demand, actually, which I'm really happy about. Exclusivity that stems from a company's focus on social impact can help to boost its profitability. This conforms with Akenna's view that impact and profit can indeed go hand in hand. And this is the premise behind the ABH initiative, which focuses on social entrepreneurs. Remember, applications for ABH are open at africasbusinessheroes.org now. That's all for this episode of Disrupt's podcast, and indeed for this four-part series. You can catch up on all the other episodes on your favourite podcasting platform. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.